You're listening to the Ministry 127 Podcast, a ministry of Pastor Paul Chapel and Lancaster Baptist Church. Today's lesson is on ideas for growing your preaching and teaching skills with Dr. John Getch. Dr. Getch has been in full-time evangelism since 1974. In 1996, he became the Executive Vice President of West Coast Baptist College, where he is involved in training young people for full-time ministry. He has authored several books and continues to preach revivals along with teaching full-time at the college. Phillips Brooks said, Preaching has two elements, truth and personality. 2 Timothy 4.2 really embodies that thought, Preach the Word. Truth, the Word, but the Word must be preached. Thus, it must come through a human instrument or personality. So preach the word. Now preaching involves crying out. It involves exhorting to herald as the word uh, means. But we must also stir the the heart. Uh, We must get to the heart of the person we're preaching to. And for that to happen, that message has to affect our heart. It has to come from our heart. Not all passionate delivery possesses divine authority. Um, That's why we must preach the word. And that word must have that passion of heart. It must come from our heart. But just because we're passionate about something doesn't mean that we have met the qualification. Charles Bugg said, preaching is more than a craft or an art of a profession. Preaching grows out of the minister's own experience with the living God. As preachers, we stand inside faith. We are not the objective. We bear witness to what has changed our lives. Preaching cannot be separated from all that the preacher is. The concept that we just get up a sermon fails to take seriously all the factors that converge in the person who is preaching. Preaching cannot be separated from the person of the preacher. Someone asked a preacher one time, how long did it take you to prepare that message? He said, all of my life. And there is a great element of truth there because everything that God has ever done in your life is part of the message that you deliver. Thus, we must always be growing in our lives as a Christian in order to grow as a preacher. And so in this session, hopefully we can share a few ideas for growing your preaching and your teaching skills. I'll give you 10 principles. Number one, and these aren't necessarily in order, but hopefully come in a little bit of logical sequence for you. But 10 principles. First of all, number one, capture the crowd. Capture the crowd. Most people that come to church today are not eagerly anticipating your sermon. Now, conference like this is different. I mean, we come to a conference like this, we come to preaching, most of us can't wait till tonight. We're looking forward to some preaching. We we enjoy preaching and we enjoy being fed and hopefully we're at a a little higher level spiritually to where our appetite for preaching is, is greater than someone who wanders in off the street or someone who even has been attending for several years. 
Most people that come to church have got burdens on their mind. They've got cares. They've got some trials. They've got distractions and attractions that steal away their mind from the preaching. If you don't believe that, just, just watch the crowd. You know, they may be engaged during the music and they may be engaged even during announcements, but sometimes when you say open your Bible, it's like a switch is flipped and, and they're on an excursion somewhere. You're not sure where. So a lot of people don't come. They, 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 they listen sometimes maybe skeptically or they listen laboriously because of all of these other distractions. Perhaps they are somewhat apathetic toward preaching. And we learned in the 11 o'clock session where certainly in our culture there's a, a moving away from the importance of preaching and people just don't have that appetite to hear the man of God stand and speak. So we've got to capture that attention very early we, we can have the best homiletical outline, but if they're not listening by the time we get to point one, it's of no value. You can have a wonderful alliteration or a wonderful acrostic or however you try to style your points of the message, and you can think, man, this is going to blow them away. But if they've checked out into some excursion or some fantasy of their mind or they're just bored by the time you get to the meat, then all that you've prepared is going to be for what? For, for nothing. So we've got to capture their attention. We've got to capture their crowd. And I would say uh, under this, read your scripture with authority and interpretation. Did you notice last night when Dr. Davison read his scripture, we were all right there in the message already just from the reading of the scripture? And we laughed even in the scripture reading because of the emphasis of his voice upon certain things in that scripture. Now again, we're a little more spiritually mature. We, he, he let us know, you know this passage, you understand the passage, you've maybe preached from it, and indeed most of us were. But he drew us into that passage by reading it with interpretation. I would be interested to know how many of you practice reading your scripture out loud. I know this, when I read something to myself out of the Bible, I don't pronounce all the words correctly. I don't always pause at the traffic signs, the commas or the periods or whatever. I don't, I don't, I don't read it necessarily looking at that as carefully. And all of a sudden you get in the pulpit and you try to read it and, and if you're not paying attention to some of those things and if you've not given some diligence to those expressions, those black marks on the white paper... You're not going to capture the crowd into the most important thing you have, and that's the Word of God. And so read it with authority. Read it with interpretation. Practice reading your Scripture. Uh, then uh, summarize that Scripture reading with a strong declarative statement. As you come out of the Scripture, that's not the place to meander off into something commonplace. That's not a place to shift gears. Go right out of that scripture. This is the authority. This is the truth. This is what people need. Okay. So when you read this scripture, you want to go immediately into some strong declarative statement that tells them what this scripture just said in their world. Okay. Let's say you're, you're reading Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more subtle 
than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And the serpent said unto the woman, Hath God said ye shall not eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden? And the woman said, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shalt thou touch it, lest ye die. <laughs> and the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. The sin of Adam in the garden condemns you and me for all of eternity. Now you just tied the scriptural truth to the guy in the seat with a strong declarative type of statement that summarizes the text of the scripture you just read. Capture their attention. They should be saying at that point, whoa, I need this. I want this. This is going to help me. This is why I came to church today. God has a message for me. From there, sometimes it's helpful because of the crowds we preach to to perhaps move to an illustration to help them to further see how this book that was written so many years ago that seems unrelated to their need today, we want to help them to see that it indeed does. And oftentimes when you begin an illustration by saying it's like they immediately recognize what this is like in their life. And so oftentimes a good illustration early in this message helps them to tie the truth to them, which engages their mind. Illustrations also help with attention. They keep people's attention. People enjoy the story, they enjoy the, the illustration well told, and so this is, again, a great place to capture the crowd. Secondly, chart conviction. Chart conviction. One of the big mistakes I think we make in preaching and teaching is that we oftentimes wait until the conclusion to make an application. Now, I realize every message is different, and sometimes a message requires some historical background for the people to even know what we're, what we're looking at in the Word of God. And so there, is, there are some periods where we may not be thinking this is really going to convict them. But don't wait till the end of your sermon for convictions, conviction to start. It's the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, their spirit, their life, I want conviction to start the moment I open this book. Now, if I'm going to tell a few stories or welcome the crowd or say I'm glad you're here, whatever, I don't necessarily, I'm not looking for conviction there. But the minute I open this book, I want the Holy Spirit to have a chance to be able to work. I don't want to just entertain a crowd for 30 minutes and then hope at the end that the Holy Spirit could somehow apply this to their life. So I want application to begin immediately. Now, one of the ways that you can 
facilitate conviction early is with a question. Statements accuse, questions convict. You're on your way to hell. Well, that may be true, but most people in the audience aren't accepting that. In fact, their fists are going up and saying, you want to fight about that? You know, who do you think you are? I'm in church, aren't I? So your statement has accused them. But if you say, have you ever wondered where you're going to be five seconds after you die? Have you ever thought about the fact that that place could be hell? By the way, in soul winning, isn't it our goal, if we can, to get to the question? You know, we go up to the house, we knock on the door, good morning, what a beautiful day, isn't it? Say, that's a nice looking dog. What kind of dog is that? We're not there to compliment their dog. We're not there to talk about the nice day. We're really not there even to just invite them to church. If we're out soul winning, we kind of want to get to that question, don't we? Now, why do we get to a question? Because questions convict. Ma'am, could I ask you, if you were to die today, are you 100% certain you'd go to heaven? And isn't it amazing when you get to that question how nice people are until that question, and then all of a sudden, I think the phone is ringing? You know, I really was just on my way out. Uh, I'll give this to my husband and we'll talk about maybe visiting. What time did you say the service was again? Well, they're doing everything they can to get rid of the conviction. That's what they're doing. And again, I'm not saying you should be belligerent at that point at the door. But what I'm saying, what I'm proving here is that questions convict people's hearts. And so I would encourage you in your introductory material, ask questions that allow the Holy Spirit to begin to convict them about the subject matter at hand. Don't be afraid to restate those questions in various ways. You don't have to repeat the question over and over again, but that question can help you. It can steer you through the entire message because hopefully your message is going to answer the question. That's your goal in soul winning. Are you 100% sure you're on your way to heaven? And if they say no, could I show you from the word of God? Yes, you may. Well, now your points are going to answer the question. And so you're trying to raise the question in the early part of the sermon to build some conviction about the subject matter, and now your points, so to speak, in the message of your outline are going to help to answer that question. So chart conviction. Get that conviction process started early. Number three, convey confidence. Convey confidence. About two years into evangelism, I was asked to preach a revival meeting at a church where the pastor had married my wife and I. He was my wife's pastor. My wife was a bus kid and had been reached through that church and bus ministry. And uh, she'd gone off to Bible college. And so when we met and began to date, I went down to visit her church a time or two and met this pastor, wonderful man of God. And, and he was very gracious in our counseling with you know marriage and so on. And and uh, we really felt like, you know, this, he was a great mentor in our lives. And uh, he was very gracious in inviting me to come and hold a revival meeting. And this church was probably about three, 350, 400 people, I suppose. It was a significant church for a young evangelist to be asked to preach at. And I went in, it was an eight-day meeting, Sunday to Sunday, and 
I preached my heart out, did the best I can, didn't have a lot of messages at that point, but the ones I had, I, I delivered as best I could, and, and we really had a good meeting. And at the end of the meeting, we were standing in the lobby of that church, and uh, he, he, was, he said, Brother Getch, thank you for coming. Our people enjoyed the week, and there were some great decisions. Thank you for being faithful to the Lord. You know, all those things that he, a gracious pastor would say. And he said, Brother Getch, I do want to make one suggestion. I said, anything. You just, you know, good night. This man was, you know, could have been my dad age-wise and had five children that were teenagers or above and had a wonderful home and all that kind of thing. And I said, sure, pastor. And he said, I really think in eight days of meetings, of eight days of messages, you, you should preach at least once about the home. And, and I, I kind of laughed. I said, oh, pastor, that's your job. <laughs> you know, I said, I said, Pastor, I'm, I'm 24 years old. I said, well, I've only been married a couple of years. I said, we don't have any kids. I said, I don't know anything about that. I said, you're, you're a seasoned pastor. You've got a great home, great marriage. Your kids are doing right. That's your job. I, just kinda, I, I wasn't trying to be unkind. I just, it just struck me kind of funny that he would say preach on the home. But he didn't laugh. And I'll never forget what he did. He said, Brother Getch, this is your authority on the home, and you need to preach on it. Well, boy, I, I thought he's serious about that. And so, boy, that next week, I, I developed a message out of Ephesians 5 and 6 about the home. It was called the five vital ingredients in the home, and it, it closed with Jesus Christ as the fifth, and uh, worked salvation in there too, you know, as an evangelist. But, but uh, I started preaching that message, and every time I did, I would tell the story. I'd say, folks, I'm not, I've only been married a couple of years. I don't have any kids. I don't know a lot about this, but this is our authority. And tonight I'm going to show you what God's word says about the home. And, and so convey confidence, not in yourself. We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. And, and so our authority is in the scriptures. It's not in our experience. It's not in our wisdom per se. It's in thus saith the Lord. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Uh, the word of God is what we need to fill our message with. By the way, uh, plagiarize all you want to when it comes to preaching. God doesn't mind. Just give him as much of this as you want. You can quote him directly and not even give him credit. He'll still use it. I'm serious. Plagiarize. Give him the word of God. Thus saith the Lord. The prophet that hath a dream, let him tell a dream. He that hath my word, let him speak my word faithfully. For what is the chaff to the wheat, saith the Lord? Is not my word like as a fire, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? Oh, as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and prosper in the thing where to I sent it. God may use your funny story. He may use your homiletical outline. He may use your fancy conclusion, but he doesn't promise to, but he does promise to use this. And so convey confidence, not in what you know or what you have to say or your experience, but rather on the word of God. Number four, communicate clearly. 
I tell the young man in homiletics class, our goal is not to make the message easy to preach, but easy to understand. And I'll be honest with you, some things are easy to preach. It's not hard to, to preach on certain things because they've gripped our hearts and, and changed our lives. But, but our goal is not to make the sermon, the preparating, preparation of the sermon, so that it's easy to deliver, but rather we want it to be easy to understand. Teaching is taking people from the known to the unknown. Well, to do that, then, we've got to know what they know. I would hate to teach kindergarten where they don't know anything. You know, how do you build on nothing? You know, uh, now I realize they do know some things and, and they have to, the kindergarten teachers are amazing. They, they work on, on such a, a, a various foundation of, of knowledge as kids come into kindergarten. Uh, some parents have taught their kids to count and know their ABCs and all those kinds of things. And others, you know, don't know any of that. I didn't even go to kindergarten. I started first grade. Uh, but the point is that teaching is taking people what they know to what they don't know. Well, if I'm going to take somebody from what they know to what they don't know, I've got to know what they know. So I've got to think through the material that I'm giving here. We've got to understand the audience here. Um, your Sunday morning crowd is probably different than your Wednesday night crowd as far as what they know what their knowledge is of biblical truth. I'm telling you, people that come as visitors today know almost nothing. I mean, you get people off the street that you invite or you meet out soul and you get them to come to church, their biblical knowledge is pretty slim. Our culture has just stripped us of those foundations. And so, boy, you, you, you've, got to, you've got to get pretty simple here. And this is where illustrations, again, help. They're that, they're that help in taking them from what they, they know to what they don't know. In other words, they know something to be true as an illustration, but now you're going to liken it to this spiritual application. That's what Jesus did in the parables. They knew about the kinds of soil, but he was now going to take that knowledge about the soil and apply it to the condition of their hearts. And so the spiritual application through the illustration Big, high-sounding words are often graves in which men bury their own ideas. Someone said he went down deeper, stayed down longer, and came up drier than every man I ever met. Which would you rather hear? Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. Up above the world so high, like a diamond in the sky. Would you rather hear that? Or scintillate, scintillate, globule vivific. Vain would I fathom thy nature specific. Loftily poised in the ether capacious, strongly resembling a gem carbonaceous. It's the same poem, it's just different words, okay? Simple, simplicity. Uh, Soltau was a great orator and he gave a speech one time and the audience was moved beyond, beyond compare and a preacher was in the audience and he, he went up to Soltau afterwards and he said, how what, what made that speech so moving? How did you do that? He said, I gave the entire speech using one-syllable words. Now you think about that. An entire speech of one-syllable words. By the way, for God so loved the world that he gave his only. That's our first two-syllable word. 
The 11th word, only. That's a tough one. Begotten. Now that one is a little bit tougher. Son. That whosoever, there's our third. Believeth, there's our fourth. In him should not perish, there's our fifth. But have everlasting, there's six, life. You know why John 3.16 is so effective? It's simple. It's simple. It's not hard to understand. Communicate clearly. Number five, crusade content. Crusade content. Oftentimes the text that we read before we preach has about as much to do with the sermon as the national anthem has to do with the football game. It gets everything started, but you never hear from it again. Guys, help us. We're Bible preachers. Preach the word. We've got a crusade content. Expository preaching is more of a philosophy than it is a method. You, you, can, you can define expository preaching a lot of different ways, and some people would say it's just verse by verse or book by book, and they would simply define it that way. Expository preaching is the communication of a biblical concept derived from and transmitted through the historical, grammatical, and literary study of a passage in its context, which the Holy Spirit first applies to the personality and experience of the preacher, and then through him to the hearers. Basically, this book needs to affect us in its historical, grammatical, literary context. And then as that message changes our lives, we preach that same message from that same context and text to the hearer. Don't bend the scriptures to fit your mind. Bend your mind to fit the scriptures. I'll be honest with you, sometimes I'm outlining a passage and I got a couple of points and I'm thinking, man, this is awesome. And I get to the next part and I think, Lord, this doesn't fit. This doesn't outline. What am I going to do with these verses? You know, I'm thinking, Lord, I don't want those verses. I'll just skip those and go a little further. And, 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 and we all, we've all been there. And we think, how can I make this fit what I want to say? And oftentimes God does lead us to preach on things with respect to the needs of our flock. Every youth pastor in here has a burden for his teenagers, and he says, boy, I need to preach a message on friends, or I need to preach a message on the internet, or I need to preach a message on music, or, you know, whatever. And so it's, it's theme-based in that sense, because you see a need in the audience. As a pastor, you see needs in people's homes, and you say, I want to preach on the home, or I need to preach on finances, or something like that. And so it's need-driven to a point. But now you can't come up with all your ideas about the home, or finances, or rock music, or whatever. You've got to go here and let the Word of God then communicate that message. If they speak not according to this Word, it's because there's no light in them. The wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Lo, they have rejected the word of the Lord and what wisdom is in them. The reason we're in a mess in this country is because we forgot this book. And the reason our churches and pulpits are often weak is because we've gotten away from this book. And so study the passage in its context, historically, grammatically, uh, literarily, uh, literature-wise, so to speak, and, 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 then, and then make that application to the hearer. 
So crusade contact, number, content. Number six, create credibility. Create credibility. This is especially important, I think, for young preachers in that, you know, uh, a lot of times people look at a young preacher and think, well, you know, what right does he have to preach to me? And you're going to have to create a credibility, and the best way to do that is with this book. Because it's not you, it's, it's what God said. And even as older preachers, people are interested in what God says, not what our experience tells us. But especially when we're younger, we, we, we've got to make this the primary source here of, of the, of the uh, uh, content. Uh, we, can, we can go certainly from Scripture to, to other tools, quotations. Sometimes people are in a better position to state something than we would be. Uh, certainly, if you quoted Pastor Chapel on how to build a soul-winning ministry, that would have a lot more weight than quoting somebody that has never gone soul-winning, obviously. So a quotation can oftentimes be helpful in making our point. It, it, it creates a credibility when we use what someone else has said. Illustrations. Make sure your illustrations are true. I like what a, Mr. Baruch said. He said, every person has a right to their opinion, but no one has a right to be wrong about their facts. Now, you can preach to some degree your opinion. I mean, you, you have, you're in the pulpit. You can say, my opinion is, or my, as pastor said this morning, my preference would be. You have a right to do that. But don't state your opinion as a matter of fact. In other words, don't say, as a matter of fact, and then quote your opinion. Now, you have a right to your opinion, but nobody has a right to be wrong about their facts. Make sure people live in a day where they can check out the facts. And, and most illustrations and most stories, most current events, most uh, political ideas, uh, 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 moral agendas, people can check it out. And when you start throwing out statistics or throwing out names or things of that nature, be careful. Don't say... I'm not just preaching now, I'm telling you the truth. Please, guys. When are you not telling the truth? Because I want to know. Because you're, you're talking about my soul here. You're, you're talking about my eternity here. You're, you're talking about my life, my family. I, wa I want to know you're telling me the truth all the time. Don't, don't give the impression that we sometimes don't tell the truth. Uh, preaching, uh, goof off somewhere else. Now again, I'm not against humor. We've seen humor used very effectively this week in the preaching. I'm not against humor. And, and, and if God's given you a gift in that area, use it for the glory of God. But what I'm saying is don't, don't minimize the preaching of the truth. Don't undermine that truth in some way by a statement like that. You are God's voice. You are not a comedian. You're not an entertainer. You are there in God's stead. As we heard this morning, anointed of God. So create credibility. Number seven, convince compassionately. On some having compassion making a difference. Speaking the truth in love. The love of Christ constraineth us. Gentlemen, if the message doesn't touch your heart, don't preach it. 
And, and this is especially, uh, Brother Sams would, would tell you this is true as an evangelist. We, we preach messages over and over again. And one of the dangers is, is it becomes a recording. And, and you, you can get a message sometimes and, and, and you've used it before and it, God's used it and you're thankful for it and, and you say, well, I'm, I'll just preach that one. And, and we don't get our heart engaged in that. And that's the time to tear that one up and write a new one. <laughs> you know, it's got to touch us. It's, it's got to affect us. Preaching is not head to head. It's heart to heart and life to life. I don't understand the whole passage there where Elisha, he raises that little boy back to life. Remember, he crawls up on the bed and he, he gets on top of him and he's face to face. And I'm, I'm th this is weird. But I've often thought in that passage, boy, he got engaged in the work of God there. And I mean, it wasn't just, you know, okay, I'll show up and wave my magic baton and raise this kid from the dead. Uh, this in, involved his entire being. And preaching is that serious. Convinced compassionately. Uh, I was raised in Wisconsin, so I've been a Green Bay Packer fan all my life. And since, you know, I was, I was 14, Super Bowl one. You know, I mean, I, I've been around. <laughs> and uh, we've had our bad years. We've had our good years. But I've tried to take my boys up to Lambeau Field. I, I try to go every summer if I can and pay my respects. Uh, but... I like to go there. It's just inspiring, you know, the, the legacy of the Packers, and you have your teams, whatever, maybe it does the same thing for you. But a few years ago, Eric, my youngest son, had never been to Lambeau yet, and we were, he was traveling with me one summer, and we were close enough, and we drove all night, and we got up there, and, and I said, we got to take a tour of the stadium. And so we, we went into the atrium there, and uh, we, we bought a ticket, and yet we had to wait, you know, several groups. There were like 20 in a group. We had to wait several groups before we could go, and we were sitting there just waiting, and I noticed a tour group guide, and man, this guy was just captivating me from a distance. I couldn't hear what he was saying, but his body language and, and everything was just exuding a message, and I said, man, I hope we get that guy. I hope we get that guy. And sure enough, we did, and his name was Bob. I don't know a lot about him. He played professional football, not for the Packers. He's now retired in his probably 60s or 70s. He gets paid nothing for this. Volunteer. We got in his group. He took us out to the two statues in front of Lambeau Field of Curly Lambeau and Vince Lombardi, and he began to tell us the history of the Packers. I mean, this guy, tears rolling down his cheeks. He began to talk about how the Packers were never able to win a game, and Lombardi came in, and, and he said he had, he had one word for them, discipline, discipline, discipline. That's the way he would talk as he gave us this tour. We went through that whole stadium, went down on the field. There's like 20 of us in this group. He sits us in the stands at the south end. There's nobody else in there. There's no lines on the field. There's no goalposts. It's summertime. We're in this empty stadium. And he says, now, the fans here at Lambeau, they have a, they have a cheer. And when they cheer, it's real simple. They say, go, pack, go. Let's try it. He said, on the count of three. One, two, three. And the 20 of us, you know, we go, go, back, go. He goes, oh, that great. Let's do it again. <laughs> we did it three times. I'm, I'm like, and Eric, I mean, he's just, he's glued to this guy. We got done with that tour and 
we were up on the second floor, I think it was, where all the trophies are and things. And there was a gate there where we could go out at our leisure. We could stand there and, and look at some things or we could go out. And this tour guide, he, he went over to a kind of a dark area where that gate was. And he just, he just kind of stood there. His head was down. And I looked at him and I thought, I know what he's thinking. I could read what he was thinking. It was almost like he was thinking, did I do my best? Did I do my best? I couldn't help it. I went over to that guy. I shook his hand. I said, sir, I've been a Packer fan all my life. I said, but I brought my son today to learn more about the Packers. And I said, sir, you made him a Packer fan today. Tears are rolling out his cheeks. He says, thank you. Thank you. I live for that. I'm, I'm thinking the Packers. Now, guys, if a volunteer who doesn't even get paid can be that passionate about a football team, can we not get passionate about this book and the preaching and teaching of it? Convince compassionately. Number eight, crucify compliments and, and, and complaints. Just, just forget about them. Just preach, leave the results to God. George Whitfield, the great preacher of the Great Awakening, there, there was, you know, it's amazing, you study history, there was always problems, there was always controversy, there was always people taking sides and all this kind of thing. And Whitfield and Wesley, in people's minds, became somewhat rivals. And while Whitfield and Wesley didn't really, they, they had their differences, but it, that wasn't their thing. Their thing was preaching and seeing people saved and so on. And, and they just didn't mess with it, but the people began to put pressure on them. And, and people came to Whitfield and they said, Whitfield, why don't you set the record straight? Why don't you form your own denomination? Why don't you get away from all these others that are criticizing you and just, just set the record straight? Whitfield refused to do it. And you know what's on Whitfield's tombstone? His tombstone reads, here lies GW. The record is on high. And Whitfield, at the close of his life, he could have, he could have written volumes. There's very little written about Whitfield. Dalimore's two-set version, or two-set, uh, two-volume set is about all we have. He could have written about his life. He could have written about the results. He could have written about what he believed, how it was different from Wesley and all that kind of stuff. But he just said, no, the record's on high. Die to criticism. Die to complaints. You're going to get criticized for preaching. You're going to get complimented for preaching. Die to both of them. I'm crucified with Christ. Number nine, catalog collectibles. Catalog collectibles. I tell the young preachers that come to the college as they start thinking about preaching, think homiletically. Begin to develop a pattern in your mind where you're thinking homiletically so that when you watch a news story, you think, How do, is there a passage in the scripture that this would apply to? Could I use this as an illustration of something in the Bible? When something happens in your life, I, I've often jokingly said, but it's, it's more true than it is jokingly, something bad will happen, and I'll say, well, at least it'll make a good preaching illustration. And I'm sure you've done the same. You've thought, this is going to illustrate a trial, or this is going to illustrate a burden, or this is going to illustrate a stupid mistake, or something. 
It's going to have value. Think homiletically. Think and, 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 and collect. The, the worst thing you can, you can have happen to you in preaching is, is come to that preaching preparation moment and not have any ideas. And just be sitting there staring at a wall thinking, oh, i got to preach in 10 hours and I have no clue. File ideas, file illustrations, file quotes, file outlines. Listen to preaching, read preaching. I call it chicken scratching, but I always keep in my, my Bible in the front a couple of sheets of paper where I can just jot things down. I call it chicken scratching. It, it may never develop into a sermon. It may never go anywhere. I have, I have file folders full of this stuff. that has never made it past that. But I've also developed messages. In fact, my message to the alumni is, is on, this, on this page. And, it, and it, I was sitting in a service a couple weeks ago at a camp, and it, we got delayed starting. We had a few minutes there before, and nothing was happening. I opened my Bible. I said, Lord, you know, I need a message. I need a challenge for the alumni in a couple weeks. And I said, Lord, you know, I just, I need you to lead me to a passage. And I looked down, and I saw a passage of Scripture, and four words came to my mind, and that became the outline I shared a minute ago. But I never would have remembered that because I was focused on a service. I was focused on preaching. But, but, but write some things down. You'll think, eh, you know, I wrote a couple things down this morning from the preaching. I like to take notes in my Bible of the outline things. But sometimes a thought will come, a seed thought will come, and I think, oh, man, I want to think about that. I, I, I want to chew on that. I want to go back and look at that verse, or I want to think about that. And so jot something down somewhere where, where you're collecting an idea. You'll be amazed that when you get to one of those draw-blank moments, you'll say, well, let me see. Let me go back here. And, uh, oh, yeah, well, that was a good thought. Let me think about that. Let me look at some scripture. So uh, catalog collectibles, and finally, I would say today, cultivate character. And I, oh, boy, you could spend a session on this, and yet we've heard much about it already. But it's interesting when Paul is instructing Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.16, he says, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Now, for a young preacher, it's very important to take heed to doctrine. We've got to preach sound doctrine, right doctrine. And we try to emphasize doctrine here in the college. Everybody takes doctrine classes because they've got to know their doctrine. But it's interesting, he says, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Uh, good food served with dirty hands is not attractive. And we must always make sure that we're a vessel unto honor and not to dishonor. Sanctified. Meat for the master's use. Prepared unto every good work. I think you have this in the notes. On October 2nd, 1840, the young Presbyterian pastor, Robert Murray McChain, wrote a letter to his friend, Daniel Edwards, who was leaving for Germany to train for missionary service. He wrote, my dear friend, I trust you'll have a pleasant and profitable time in Germany. I know you will apply hard to German, but do not forget the culture of the inner man, I mean, of the heart. How diligently the cavalry officer keeps his saber clean and sharp. Every stain he rubs off with the greatest of care. Remember, you are God's sword, God's instrument. I trust a chosen vessel unto him to bear his name in great measure according to the purity and perfections of the instrument will be the success. It is not great talents God blesses so much as great likeness to Jesus. A holy minister is an awful weapon in the hand of God. And guys, there are going to be weeks 
There are going to be times where you're going to feel a little bit ill-prepared to preach your sermon. But none of us have an excuse to be ill-prepared in the inner man. We may not be totally happy with our outline. We may not like our title. We may wonder, is this the right message? But what's far more important to God is that we're a vessel that he can flow through. And God doesn't use dirty vessels. He needs a clean vessel. And so that character of the preacher is so very important. Thank you for listening to the Ministry 127 podcast. Today's lesson was on ideas for growing your preaching and teaching skills with Dr. John Getch.